Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Welcome to the Fairways of Life show this Wednesday from wherever around North America, United States, or around the world you are joining us on whatever medium you're joining us on, on the audio side, on every major audio platform or streaming, uh, live television, and all of it is always available to you 24-7 on demand. Again, we can't wait to share with you what we're planning for 2022 to add to all that mix, uh, that news coming soon enough. We're, we're still working on it, and it's going extremely well. Always pleased to be joined by our next guest. Great to be able to start a show with Mark Carnevale. He was the 1992 Arnold Palmer Award recipient on the PGA Tour. Uh, that means he, he was the Rookie of the Year, and it was a pretty banner year in 1992, including rookie season of Phil Mickelson. Uh, Carney now covers the game in talking about various mediums. He covers them all. Uh, this week for Bermuda, he's working for PGA Tour Radio. Carney, welcome. Good Wednesday to you. How are you, my friend? Always good to talk to you, Matty. I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be home for a week. Uh, it's actually been a nice little break for me. I, I worked in uh, uh, the Shriners uh, Children's Open, and basically I'm home for four weeks, which is unusual. But I am working this week uh, from home for the as the analyst uh, for radio. But it's it's good to be home. The weather's nice here in North Florida now, so uh, it's, a lot, it's it's good to be home. You know, it's interesting that so much of you were talking about working from home this week for PGA Tour Radio, and so much of our lives, really, our society at large have been altered by COVID in terms of what we do and how we do it, whether it's people and massive numbers working from home. I'm hearing mixed single signals on a larger basis as to whether or not people are willing to go back to the office again uh, because of the lifestyle that they've had. How much has COVID changed what you do? As, as just an example, you mentioned that you're doing radio this week, but you're actually able to do it from your house. It, it, it really hasn't changed it much at all. Under normal circumstances, I would be headed up to Washington, D.C. to work out of the studio. So as the analyst, I would not be on site. So it hasn't affected much. But interesting enough, uh, yesterday I, I spoke to uh, remotely two classes uh, at James Madison University where I attended school. Uh, wow. And uh, I spoke to two uh, introduction to sports media classes. And... That was it, it was good, but I would have preferred to have been there. And I think anyone who is a broadcaster in whatever sports you're doing, uh, there is something that's lost by not being there. There's a feel for the tournament, uh, the inability to really you know go out and spend some time talking to some players and, and other people involved with the event. So while it doesn't seem to affect what we do, I still think there's a, a sense of the tournament that sometimes is missed when you're not on site. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we're all professional. We do our jobs uh, extremely well. Uh, so I don't believe the viewers or the listeners, they can't feel the difference. But I think as broadcasters, uh, you can feel a little bit of a difference. But, you know, you do what you have to do. Uh, the fact that we've been able to continue to work uh, is uh, extremely important and provide coverage of, of golf for all the listeners and viewers out there. And so at the end of the day, it's a, it's a small sacrifice to make uh, for a lot of reasons, obviously. But uh, I think, uh, as they say, the show must go on and that we've continued to do it well. You know, the fact that you had a chance to speak to a sports media class is also intriguing to me, Carney. Uh, I never took any media training classes at all in my career. I was, yeah. I was my, my degrees in business administration. I, I don't know what yours is. Did you take any classes when you were up there in, in media? No, no, actually I'm, I'm on the advisory board of this school. It's the Hart school of uh, recreation, sports management and hospitality at, at JMU. It wasn't there when I was in school. Uh, I took a speech class, but uh, I didn't take any media classes. And uh, I like you have learned through experience. Although when I did, get to the PJ tour. We had a couple of media classes of how, how to deal with the media yeah. uh, as rookies. 
but other than that, I haven't had any training. I think a lot of it is, as you know, you. the biggest thing about anyone that does any kind of broadcasting is I think you have to listen. I think there's a lot of people who don't listen. And you listen to the broadcast, you listen to the other broadcasters, the other announcers, what they're talking about, and you, you train yourself to follow that because you play off that. And ultimately, that makes for a better broadcast mm-hmm. uh, if you can do that. But again, at the end of the day, you're providing information for the viewers or listeners. And uh, it's, you know, again, it's, it's like uh, you're street smart almost. You know, you've got you've to gotta develop that. You've got to understand what you can say, what you shouldn't say, what, uh, you know, what is valuable, what is not valuable uh, to, to a listener or a viewer. And I think because, as you know, TV and radio are very different in the sense that when you're doing TV, less is more. When you're doing radio, more is not enough. So, you know, it's 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 all about painting that picture. So it's yeah, no but way. it was interesting. It was it, it was it was it was fun. This is the third year in a row, third year I've done it where I've actually spoken to classes. And it's it's been kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, my observation therein, Carney, my question really, maybe it's a little more esoteric, but nonetheless, you're dressing a, a group of kids that in some way, shape, or form hope to be involved in media, whether it's as a journalist, uh, what, whatever definition, on the administrative side, and the PR side, whatever, whatever you. And it seems to me that media has changed so much today that while you're in a class, you're in an institution, and you hope to, to graduate with a degree that says you are trained in this field, whether be it journalism or be it broadcasting or be it media at large, whatever, whatever the definition respectively is. However, whether we're talking about the, the per, the, maybe it's some incredibly intelligent person, maybe it's some incredibly insightful person, maybe it's, it's someone that's just snarky as hell, but whatever it is, they, they gain a following, let's say, whatever the medium, uh, Twitter, say, or, or YouTube, whatever. Sure. And all of a sudden, they're commenting, they're reporting on events and if you were a kid that was going in for the degree, do, do you think that, I guess, society at large today, or at the very least, digital media, social media, if you please, does that diminish the quality of, of that degree? Uh, I don't know if it diminishes it. And one of the things that I, I, I focus on when, when I talk to these kids is it's about credibility. It's about accountability. And, and obviously with social media, it's very different because people can just put something out there. And I particularly talked about interviewing and how we, we're in this society, however you want to look at it, you know, this world we live in, where obviously sensationalism tends to be uh, a big part of things. And to me, in, in explaining my sort of my outlook and my perspective of it, I said, you know, the biggest thing and the challenge when you just, when you just base everything on social media is you don't have that interaction with that individual. You don't have an interaction with that athlete because part of your success, at least I believe, as a broadcaster, whether you're a play-by-play person or announcer, whatever, uh, you're gonna do interviews. But you have to create that trust with that person and you have to listen to what that person says. And that's, uh, I I told them, you know, you go into an interview and and I've, I've interviewed Tiger and obviously all these players so many times, you know, I go in, I have a couple of questions and I know having been out there for so long, sort of the questions to ask them, I know what's important to those players, but what I do is I listen to their first answer and that's where my next questions come because that's players, anyone, people talk about what they want to talk about and they give you little hints. So you expand on that. And, and I, and I said, that's the important thing. I said, the problem, at least in my mind with social media is there is that trust doesn't exist because you haven't been able to establish it. So while you're able to put all this information out there, uh, at times I think the credibility and the accountability of it uh, is is questionable. And I think that's part of the unfortunate aspect of social media is the interaction uh, between a broadcaster, a, a interviewer, and a and a and a professional athlete or a, any athlete is lost. And I think we lose not only sort of the personality of the interviewer, 
but you also lose a little bit of the personality of the interviewee. I'm curious, Carney, how long it took you to master the following, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about for the audience sake here. When players would come in, generally veteran players, so I'll say guys in their 40s in this case, before Champions Tour eligibility mostly, but players with, with enough chops that Golf Channel would invite them in and basically give them a tryout as, as an analyst. And mm-hmm. a couple things. First of all, in media, the funny thing is, is that when you get to the top tier of media, there really isn't anyone there that says, hey, let me guide you along. Generally, they <laughs> hand you a microphone and push you into the deep end of the pool and say, well, we're just going to see if you can swim. So yeah. I would... I would generally sit with these players, most of whom I, I would know because of the, the scenarios that, that Carney just laid out there so aptly. And I would say, and this is the question I have for you too, when you hear this, I, I think it's probably going to make you laugh too, Carney, is that I always say the same thing, is that you guys are used to being asked a question, you answer the question. And it's usually a snippet, it's usually what we would call in the business a soundbite. But yeah. the reality is, is when you work on mass media and you're brought in as, say, an analyst in any capacity – people want to need more than you answering the question. And, and that's the thing that I always say to these uh, people is that you need, to, you need to realize that no matter what a host asks you or a reporter or an interviewer, it's sometimes that person, it, it, with all due respect, doesn't know what they're talking about. You have to be able to answer the question that you want to answer. And that's the key to whether or not you're going to make it. Because if you just answer the question that you're asked, it's going to be a short clip, but everyone's going to look at each other and say, well, this person's a yes or no answer type person and doesn't have any additional depth. I know that sounds funny, but how long did it take sure. for you, Carney, to realize that you control the direction that you go and it's not just based upon a, a question asked, answer given quickly? Well, quite frankly, it was very quickly because I was on the other side. And I understood that. And as you said, you're right. Players want to talk about things that they want to talk about. And I'll give you a prime example. You know, and, and maybe the best example, Tiger Woods. You talk about short snippets. Uh, you know, he had a reputation as, you know, just giving short snippets. Uh, Tiger Woods knew if you were out on the golf course following him. Tiger Woods talks all the time about the important things in his golf game. You know, the, the, the pace, the speed of the greens, being able to figure that out. His distance control, his trajectory, you know, where he approaches things. So if you follow him on a golf course and Tiger goes out there and shoots, you know, shoots 66, say, you know, he opens with a 66 and you're interviewing him. And, and I always thought, you know, great round, Tiger. You sit there, you know, the thing that I really noticed today was your distance control with your irons. What about today made you feel so confident about that? Yeah. And then that's when, when you talk about things that players want to talk about, that's when they expound on different things. That's when they open up a little bit more. It, like you said, he knows if you've been out there and, and he's going to respond because, quite frankly, as an interviewer, you'd look like an idiot. Well, how'd you play today? Well, I shot 66. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, it's simple, but it's it's true. And I mean, you, you see reporters and writers and whoever out there, and they're, they're puzzled when he gives them an answer like that. But the best in the world wants you to understand what they're doing and pay attention to what they're doing. And I learned that, again, I, I think it was certainly a benefit having been on the other side, but also benefit having been in sports by, you know, around my father and my family my whole life to understand you know, if you're going to ask a question, you better make it count. Yeah. Don't waste the question. I can remember one time I was assigned to follow a Tiger uh, at the Memorial. And it was, I believe it was the 16th hole. And he'd pulled his drive left. And as, as you well know, Carney, that rough there gets so lush and so thick. It is so well fed and fertilized. And, and so... His ball didn't make it down into the bunker. Yeah. So Tiger's standing in the bunker, and the ball is, is at best the height of his eyes, right? So he's got to swing yeah. around himself. And I remember 
you're talking about the way that players connect. And, and to me, as an interviewer, I see it as, as a bloom that when, when you hit the right chord, the, it, there's, there's an opening, there's a blooming that takes place because of that trust and because of the knowledge that, that you were there, you saw, you knew, et cetera. And so I, I normally wouldn't open an interview like this, but I opened the interview with, with Tiger and I was like, dude, 16, what were you trying to do? Just, just hit it down the left field line? And he started to laugh because he had to swing it like a bait, and it opened up the whole interview. And it's funny that I've always said the same thing about Tiger. If you read the transcripts of his interviews, I believe you get more from them than if you watch them. Because when he's in front of the whole media, Tiger gets his body language is defensive. But if you listen to the contents of his words, he actually gives you more nuggets than what you think. Because when you see someone kind of seemingly holding back physically. So anyway, it was just a funny story of kind of that interaction. And I know you've had interaction with Tiger a zillion times. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's, it's fun. It's interesting. And again, every player is different. And, you know, this is, I've been doing this 17 years. So you, you understand when you go in to interview a player after a round, you understand what you can get out of them. But one of the things I've always tried to do is particularly with players like Tiger and Rory and, and the bigger name players. And the reason I say that is because their time, I mean, they're, there's so much demand on their time. And, you know, at times players will beg off an interview. And, and while I get that at the same time, to me, it's a responsibility whether whether or not you've done three or four already. If someone wants to talk to you, you should talk to them. But that's not, not for me to say that's my opinion. But I've always tried to end interviews, too, trying to get them to laugh a little bit, to yeah. take the edge off. And, and I think, again, if, if you understand that and you understand – players and that's when you go I go back to your thing of just throwing people out there it takes a long time if you're not familiar with players to get comfortable doing that because I remember, I, I remember asking questions and you know a lot of times the the other uh, writers and, and the people that cover the game were standing around they got their their phones or whatever their recording devices going because they want to they'll feed off of, of what questions yeah. you asked them and then they kind of look at you why would you ask that question and I'm like saying well my question back to you is, why would you ask me why I asked that question? Because you have to understand it's about building that relationship with that yeah. player and getting them, getting them to feel comfortable with you. No doubt. When you mention your dad, uh, Carney's dad is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. There, there's another thing, I guess you could say, floating around the, the world of sport. But my, my feeling is, Carney, it isn't new. It's just been revealed. Uh, and that is... The, talking about mental health now mental health affects everybody everywhere at every walk of life not just athletes but it's been focused on a lot with athletes in particular of late and I'm curious in your experience with your dad in all those years you know Hall of Fame basketball coach I wonder how much he basically had to be his own sports psychologist with these kids over the years in terms of managing the emotions of a young person that's been thrust upon whatever their respective stage is, and it's a major stage to be on, at least in their life, if not at large. And I'm, I'm curious if you ever had any observations about that with your, with your dad in terms of how we manage people and how we help them to manage their emotions. Absolutely. You know, my father, it, it was very interesting, and, and it, it, I realized this not late in my career, but I, I kind of realized that after uh, thinking about it, I mean, my father was my sports psychologist because I would – I, you know, I would reach out and I would talk to because you know you're always looking uh, for a way to maybe not only better your game but better yourself. And I would talk to you know the different sports psychologists, and I'm like, man, I already do that. Why, why do I do that? And it goes back to my to my father. My father, you know, said some incredible things to me. You know, first off, your preparation is done before the competition. And nowadays you're out there and you're on, you're at tournaments and you see all these players with coaches and sports psychologists. And to me that worked. And as my father said, your preparation is done before the game. You know, once the game comes, you better adapt, you better figure it out. But the preparation time is over. And he also said, you know, and this is something that I've, I've taken with me and, you know, we're all going to fail 
we're all going to have failures in life, but the true failure is not learning from that. And I would beg that, you know, most sports colleges, sports psychologists say the same thing. You know, Tiger says it all the time. You fail more than you win, but you learn from those failures. And, and failure is probably maybe not the right word in golf, but I think it's in life. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all make bad decisions. But if you don't learn from them, that is the true failure. Fascinating stuff, Carney. I, I don't know what Dom sold you as when you were coming on today, but as usual, our conversations go in whatever meandering <laughs> path they, they end up going, and it's so enjoyable. I'm going to throw something else at you. I'm going to give you the top 10 in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Number one is John Rahm. Number two is Colin Morikawa. Number three is Dustin Johnson. Number four is Patrick Cantlay. Number five is Xander Shoffley. Number six is Bryson DeChambeau. Number seven, Justin Thomas. Number eight, Rory McIlroy. Number nine, Louis Tazen. Number 10 is Tony Finau. I'm going to give you the, the next couple just because they're of note. 11 is Brooks Kepka. 12 is Hideki Matsuyama. 13 is Jordan Spieth. And, and I can obviously go on the list because all the names are prominent because you're talking about the highest ranked players in the world. We are almost in November of 2021. When you and I speak one year from now, Mark Carnevale, which one of those players that I just gave you will not be in the top of that list? Wow. Um, I'm going to say Louis Eustazen. Why do you say it? You know, and it it has nothing to do with, I think Louis, obviously he's getting older. Uh, You know, and I guess maybe it's just a feeling, I guess, in the sense of the fact that he's only, he's won the Open Championships, his only win on the PGA Tour. I mean, he's won worldwide. I get that. Uh, It surprises me. Uh, And I think as we go, uh, again, this is, we're proving where in maybe in times past, uh, you were, you were dotted with, you know, veteran players in their late thirties and early forties. I think there's too many good young players out there that are continue to improve and continue to gain that confidence. Um, that was a tough question, Maddie. Uh, I mean, I had a, I had a few to pick from and, 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 and sort of the, not the sad part about it, but Louis is such a good, good man, such a good dude. And, and you want to, I mean, I pull for him to win because I think he's just, he, he's been so consistent through his career. But I, I think, you know, time, you know, he's, he's battled injuries over his, over his career. I think that, you know, could catch up with him. And I just think, again, I think there's, there's too many really, really good young players that unless he wins, uh, you know, he's going to, he's probably going to fall. Yeah, I mean, he had a great, at, he, he had a great major championship run, so we yeah. can't take that away from him. Yeah, if you look at his performance, say from the 3M, tied for second at the Open at, at Royal St. George's, tied for third. Uh, we know that he was he was prominent for a long time. U.S. Open second, uh, the PGA Championship tied for second. There are more top finishes in that. Uh, one of the things that I that I always question, Carney, is when when pundits of any any measure question a player's not winning and I look at I'm not just talking about Lou I'm talking about anybody and they've been knocking on the door and they have second place finishes they've been in playoffs whatever it is and they just haven't closed right but they've been there and then there's these discussions start about what's wrong and I think to myself what's wrong I mean it's so fickle (laughs) when you get to the point where you're talking about a playoff or you're talking about being that close to in, in contention. I'm not necessarily talking about losing a 36-hole lead or losing a 54-hole lead through mediocre play and say, the final round. That That's a different conversation. I'm talking about when you're right there and you've played yeah. well and you just, through a twist of fate, got beat by somebody else. Uh, and how much does that just add to, behind the scenes, a player has to kind of turn that noise off because they know how close they are. Even if they've had a pile, like a Tony Fino had a pile of, of top finishes before they broke through again, uh, do they just turn it off and go, they don't get it. They don't realize that 
yeah, maybe I finished second four times, five times, six times, a thousand times, whatever it is. They don't realize that it was just a tiny little nuance and it necessarily is not a sign of some major rebuild or a personal failing. It's hard. I mean, that's, uh, it's hard to win on the PGA Tour. I mean, you see it every week. I think one of the things, and that's that's the challenge that a player like a Louis Oosthuizen, like a Tony Finau has, like Ricky Fowler is probably dealing with right now, it's hard because you've got to be committed. You've got to buy into what you're doing. And all you can do is try to put yourself in that position. And there are so many factors, Maddie, as you know, that go into winning golf tournaments. Obviously, without question, it requires a certain amount of luck. And people say, oh, you know, luck. I mean, no, it, it does. A good bounce here, a good bounce there. But it requires determination. And you have to be, I think that's, I think that's a part that where the physical aspect of golf is, I think has come into more prominence because, and I'm not, I just, I use that as this one example, is if you're not physically prepared and physically fit, that will continue to wear and wear and wear on you and drain you even more. So I think, uh, you know, for guys to be able to continue that, I think the physical aspect of it uh, is is extremely important. Uh, I mean, you and, and not to go back, but you heard, you heard, uh, you know, Captain Steve Stricker talk about that during the Ryder Cup. Players wanting to get back and, and do their workouts and everything because they understand. I mean, there, there's a different. I think it was always there, but there's a there's more of a focus on it now and how sure. big of a factor it is in the game of golf. I think it always was, but it just wasn't talked about. But it's hard. I mean, that's a challenge. I mean, you have to battle through that. And as I said, I mean, you look at a look, Bobby Watkins, his entire career, and I can't, I'm, I mean, he played, I don't know, 600 and some events, never won on the PGA Tour. And you look at players like that, and how do you keep battling through it? But they find a way to do it. And, and that's sort of the key is you. Not that you have to accept it, but you have to figure out how to deal with it and, and deal with it so it's not uh, detrimental to, to your game so you can continue uh, to play at the level that you play at. When you address the, the classes for the intro to sports media, were the kids allowed to ask you questions? They did. Yeah, they, what was, they did. What was, of those questions, what was the best that you were asked? Uh, obviously, you know, I mean, they asked, you know, what was your favorite moment? What was your best interview? The biggest one, what, this is, what was the challenge? Uh, you know, having been a player and now covering the game. And I explained to them that, you know, obviously I love playing the game and, and I understood the game. And being able to be a broadcaster, that part of it was easy. But what i believe you have to learn as a broadcaster is that now it's not about you it's about providing the information to your viewers or your listeners because it's about them you're providing this entertainment so it's not about me as a broadcaster it's about how i can make this broadcast better so you have to remove i think I had to learn how to remove myself from the competition while I can still insert myself in certain circumstances, having sure. been there. But I had to learn to make it not about me and about someone else. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. Carney, I'm not going to hold you up anymore, but I very much appreciate the massive amount of time that you gave us on this Wednesday morning. Uh, your coverage this week of the event from Bermuda will be Bermuda Championship Radio at 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday. Remember, because Bermuda is an hour ahead of the East Coast uh, at 11 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday as well. So it's 11 a.m. each of those four days for coverage that you can hear of PGA Tour Radio on the PGA Tour app on PGATour.com. Those two are free and available around the world. Or if you subscribe to the National Satellite Service, a Sirius XM. Karn, thank you. I, I hope that uh, the currents of life uh, allow us to, to catch up and see each other. But at the very least, we thank you for everything that you always do for is very gracious and appreciated. Always, Maddie. Looking forward to it again. Uh, and uh, always a pleasure to join you.
Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much. Uh, you heard ta Carney talking about being fit and, and being in the right state of mind and being prepared. You can help yourself along that pathway with BioFit360.com, where they have uh, consulted with over 1,000 medical professionals to discover how to safely extract the CBD oil from the hemp plant and then put it into all of these various forms that can help you, whether you're talking about a balm with your cream or whether you're talking about a gummy or what have you. They even have the little ones that you squeeze underneath your tongue, which is the way that, that we use it. So whether you want to get better sleep or whether you're dealing with a physical ailment, there are all kinds of ways that you can benefit from CBD. The key is you have to know, you have to do your homework to know what you're getting into. They are not all the same. BioFit360.com will take you as deep as you choose to go of exactly what they're doing and how they do it to know how you can be better and feel better and do better every single day. BioFit360.com. Uh, more coming up to the Fairways of Life show. I like this direction that we started with Carney about the top 10. And I'd like to, in World Golf Rankings, I'd like to go a little bit deeper into that and, and see what we all think collectively about where the top 10 is going at this point. Because when you look at those names and you look at the events that are left on the calendar on the PGA Tour, uh, I can guarantee you there's going to be very little movement between now and when we get to January of 2022. So with that said, let's take a look at it after these words. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. TheGolfTravelGroup.com is a luxury golf tour operator that specializes in custom travel itineraries to Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Iceland, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and more. Guaranteed advanced tee times, incredible accommodations, airport meet and greet services, private guided tours, and private drivers, all in luxury vehicles. And they have a staff that's been doing it forever. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. It screams, it tracks, it's soft, it reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs, the Tour Ball reinvented. Even though we're in Texas, we don't believe that bigger is always better. At Ben Hogan Golf, we believe in something called micromanufacturing, a concept Mr. Hogan taught us long ago. It's a belief that handcrafting golf clubs one at a time to your exacting specifications is the reason we make some of the best quality and best performing equipment in the world. And we don't believe in big prices. That's why we only sell directly to you at BenHoganGolf.com. Let me ask you a question. Are you in pain on the golf course? You know, pain management is a crisis in America. It affects over 100 million people and 35% of golfers, but now we can do something about it. BioFit360 is a new company here to help us manage and alleviate that pain naturally. They've developed a formula that safely extracts CBD from the hemp plant and utilizes all of its healing properties to help us. They have a relief cream, they have gummies, they have sleep aids, and much more. It will change the way you feel on the golf course and in life. All you need to do is head to BioFit360.com. Feel better, do better, be better. Streamsong is so special with three top 100 U.S. courses designed by four legendary architects. Tom Doak's Blue Course, Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw's Red Course, and Gil Hansen's Black Course. Secluded by thousands of acres, the greatest golf stories are lived, not told. Streamsongresort.com Created without the constraints of time or money, PXG golf clubs are the most technologically advanced available today. And they are a perfect union of art, science, and engineering. 
and the PXG experience is unlike any you've had before. After you've been custom fit, your clubs will be built to exacting standards and your exact specs in the USA. So when you hear it, you know, PXG, nobody builds golf clubs the way we do, period. Log on to pxg.com. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show on this Wednesday. Pleasure to have your company. You heard me mention the airtimes for the Bermuda Championship. I'll get into them in a little more detail. I will give you this, though. The, the big events for 2022, obviously, they are all already set into stone, and it's pretty cool to take a look at where they will be and when. The Players' Championship taking place in March at TPC Sawgrass. Uh, April, of course, will be the Masters at Augusta National. PGA Championship at Southern Hills in May. I'm really curious to see what Southern Hills will look like, feel like, play like in May. If you remember, Southern Hills always seems to be synonymous with heat when you're thinking about big events. And in May, that won't necessarily be the case, although it credit to the PGA of America that they've had great weather in May. Because remember when they would talk about switching the PGA Championship to May and there was all the fear because you talk about going, say, to Oak Hill and you think, well, you know what, in May, uh, you can still get frost. Some places. I mean, I can remember. I can remember snow in in May at, at some sense. But it, it nowadays, with with seemingly getting warmer, uh, the temperatures have been very very good. So Southern Hills in May for the PGA Championship of 22. The U.S. Open will be at Brookline in June. That of course is the Country Club, steeped in so much history for so many different reasons. And what I like about that is where you see it starting on June 16th. Well, the very next week is a Travelers' Championship. And I'm kind of hoping that through migration, an hour and a half, two hours from point to point, there'll be players going from the U.S. Open down to the Travelers, and we'll see how that plays itself out. Speaking of which, Tom, I'll jump back to this in one second, folks. Don't we have some traveler new, some Travelers news coming up? Are we going to talk about that this week? We sure are. We're going to actually talk about that tomorrow. They announced Great. some charitable dollars and we're going to share that news with you tomorrow. It's incredible the impact that they continue to have on the community in the New England area. Yeah, the, the hole-in-the-wall game camp, of course, is something that's very close to the Travelers Championship. It is very close to our show, and that's why we're always excited when we get an opportunity to share it, uh, if for no other reason than because many of you have also become engaged with the same uh, cause. And so, anyway, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Getting back to the schedule once again, after the U.S. Open at Brookline, then the Travelers in the following league, the Open in 2022, ready for it, Gasp, is at the old course, St. Andrews. Cannot wait. I'm, on a personal level, I'm debating between the last few years I've stayed with our broadcast crew, and, and usually they rent those little houses wherever. But at the Open, for the last few Opens I've worked at St. Andrews, I've stayed in the dormitories of St. Andrews University. And the only thing I can equate it to is it's kind of like staying at Hogwarts. You know, they're like, yeah, we can get you a bed at Hogwarts if you want it. It is such a cool experience. And as a result, I can walk back and forth. I have no problem. It's, it's just, just as an aside, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story about the last open at, at St. Andrews that I covered. It was 2015. Uh, you remember Zach Johnson won on the playoff, uh, Leishman and, and Louis Ustazen. And that was, for me, a distinctive, personally, it was, a, it was a distinctive week because that was the week that I formally, literally in St. Andrews, uh, put pen to paper and signed a contract with NBC and Golf Channel. And I knew that my life would be changing. I just didn't know how. I knew it wouldn't impact necessarily this show, the Fairways of Life show, because it's mine, but I, it was going to impact everything else that I did. And one of the things that was unclear to me at that time was whether I would be able to continue to broadcast, be it the Ryder Cup or the Open, uh, any other European tour event. I didn't know if I would if I'd be back there again. Uh, and that was exciting on, on one side, and but it was very sad on another because I thought that I was done with this. And I remember that Monday, because remember everything finished up on Monday uh, because of the, the crazy weather that we had, primarily wind through the course of the week. So we finished up on that Monday, and I was back in our, our broadcast. They're, they're like 
they're, they're mini trailers is what they are. Uh, they, they call them cabins. And so we're back in our broadcast cabin and we have to do the wrap up show. And I'm always a part of the wrap up show because when we were just audio, no television component, we would take that audio and we would use it as I was traveling back. So you could hear from a variety of voices that witnessed everything that took place. So by the time we finished that, and then I had to go back to the media center and pack up all of our broadcast equipment, which we leave in place throughout the course of the open so that any news that would break or the broadcasting of this show, et cetera, was in place. And, and then we would, you know, as that, that recap show that I was just referring to, we would build it around the Fairways of Life show and Dom and Andrew would edit that uh, back stateside for, for airing uh, on, as it were, Tuesday of that particular, of that particular open at St. Andrews. So I packed everything up. I had it in my various travel bags. I had handled bags that had various things in it as well, which included uh, more clothing, et cetera. I can remember at one point, because of the start and start stop nature of that open, that we were in place. And I was working with, with my dear friend Gordon Brand Jr. a lot that year, that week. And uh, God rest his soul. And we had to be in position for the restart. They remember they, they stayed late because Tom Watson, I've never heard that this was the reason, but it, but it's, it's reason to believe for me that Tom Watson was going to cross that Swilkin bridge for the last time on that Friday night. And they had all the RNA members out in front of the RNA building, et cetera. Well, while that was all going on, I was assigned to follow Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson. And we were at the par five fourteen. The players were preparing to hit and did their second shot. I will tell you as a witness, we could not see. It was so dark that they knew the direction that they were hitting in because they were hitting back towards the old gray tune, but the old gray tune was, was silhouetted in black. Uh, so they hit their shots, and with that, our day concluded. Uh, Tom had crossed the bridge uh, and all the rest, and we were told that we needed to be back in position again by 6.30 a.m. the following morning. Fine. And so we were. Wind, once again, was howling. To jump to the end of the story, the last chapter, play commenced for about 90 minutes before it was once again called uh, because it was just so severe. But we're out there at 6.30 a.m. waiting for a 7 o'clock start, 7 a.m. start. Uh, Gordy's out there trying to light his cigarette, and the wind is blowing so hard he can't even get the thing lit, and he had a lighter that could open a safe. And play gets back underway. The reason why I'm telling you that, which relates to the story of me with these various bags full of apparel and equipment and, and various things, pin flags and all the rest. Uh, as we were there with the wind chill, it was Fahrenheit, 26 degrees. That's what I mean about working. And this is July in Scotland. And so you have to make sure that you're prepared pretty much, well, for anything. So I have all these bags and equipment with me and I'm and I'm I'm walking from the old course sensing that one chapter in the book of my life was about to close uh, not excited about but not really knowing what the next chapter would hold so I felt like you know what I could use I could use a I could use a, a good whiskey and a, and, a, and a draft beer just to settle down the emotions and and send me on my way. Remember, I'm staying in the dormitory, so I'm, I'm hoofing it to where I'm going. So it was a bit of a walk, but it was lovely. And I get to the first pub. It's the night of the conclusion of the open. Literally, shoulders to shoulders, the doorway is flat with bodies. You could not get in. Okay? And I just, I just kept going. What, what, whether it was the Dunvegan, I mean, people that are listening to this or watching this are probably in their mind going, did you go to Scores? Did you go to Dunvegan? Did you go you know, I saw all of them. Yes. Couldn't get any of them. It was so packed. You just couldn't get in. So I carry on my way and I have to take a right. If you know St. Andrews at all, you know where the roundabout is that that's over by where the practice grounds are now. And it's over to the right, actually, about 100 yards from from where I was just describing uh, is is the actual birthplace of old Tom Morris. So I'm walking almost across from where his house was. It was on my right. And on my left was this, was this low, ancient stone wall, just above knee-high, arched top, beautiful uh, stonework. And I, I'm feeling quite sorry for myself, melancholy, as I mentioned. Uh, it, at this point, fog had rolled in, a misty rain 
it, it seemed as though the, the, the physical elements had, had transfixed to, to match the, what, I, what my emotions were. And so I'm walking along, and from nowhere, this man pops through an opening in the wall, obviously this homes and so forth, and this man pops out, and he's standing in front of me, and I, you know, I'm loaded down with stuff, and I, I, I look up at the man, and he says to me, great commentary today. It, again, in the, in, the, in the fog-shrouded, misty darkness, I'm thinking to myself, who, who is this guy? And, I, and he says, great commentary today. And, and I looked at him with, with all these thoughts going through my head. I never said a word to the man. I never said a word. He, he said, great commentary. I looked up with this bewilderment. And he answers me, I swear to you, he says to me, I never said a word. He says to me, no, it matters. And then he stumbled on his way. Talk about the magic of St. Andrews. And when I tell people that story now, they go, well, did he have a big, long gray beard and, you know, the tweed hat and the long hair? And I was like, no. He was a guy who looked about 35 or 40 with a bald head. It just was, it was just amazing. So that was, that was the last open. And then I guess conclusion of the story, I, I stumbled my way, drowned rat, made it back to the dormitory, got in and they had set up for us collectively because there's a lot of people staying in these, in these buildings. Uh, they had kind of a bar set up there. They had draft beer and they had whiskey. That was exactly what I was after at that point. And so that's, that's how that story concluded. Kind of crazy. So that's uh, the U.S. Open, or the Open uh, is, uh, the U.S. Open, of course, is at Brookline. Then the Open is at St. Andrews in 2022, and it's incredible. And I will promise you all this. I can't promise how many of you will, but I can promise you that, that there will be a trip to St. Andrews in 23. I'm going to take you guys back so we can play the old course again because it is that special. Uh, Quail Hollow will host the President's Cup in September. Uh, looking forward to that as well that that uh, I love the golf course I think it's a great golf course I've heard various opinions on it over the years but uh, it's it's already hosted a major it's hosted the the, the PGA Tour a gazillion times uh, and it's going to be hosting the President's Cup so I'm excited about that as well excited about the schedule that lies in store didn't get to the top 10 uh, I guess we'll plan on running through that when we come back stay with us here on the Fairways of Life show on this Wednesday don't forget log on to touredge.com and when you log on to touredge.com, you can see their big, beautiful product line. It includes these box sets, which you guys know that I love. If you've got a son or a daughter or a grandson or granddaughter or a loved one in your family that wants to get into the game of golf or back into the game of golf, uh, in these box sets, you can pretty much find everything you need. Not pretty much everything. I'm talking about bags, talking about clubs. They're all in the box set. Find them on touredge.com, or if you want to, you can find them at the PGA Tour Superstore or wherever fine clubs are sold. The PGA Tour Superstore is our preference. Uh, they are the number one golf retailer in America, and it is for good reason. Yes, it is about their big, beautiful stores, 49 of them now. Just opened a new one uh, down in Texas. But everything and anything you could want for your game, you can find within those walls. Better yet, when you are searching for whatever the it is, you're going to be serviced by true professionals real professionals who are vested in ensuring that what you get is exactly what you want at PGA Tour Superstores. A great place to start there, too, is PGATourSuperstore.com. Back with more after this. If I told you legends like Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross have designed and inspired more than 10 breathtaking courses and they're all in one place, would you believe me? Where is this special place? How far do I have to travel for this golfing nirvana? The answer could both surprise and delight you. It's right around the corner in the heartland of the country. It's Boyne Golf in Northern Michigan. It's a destination so special, so unique, that you'll think you're playing golf on a work of art along the cliffs of the Monterey Peninsula or the raw, sweeping landscapes of Scotland. From elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled golf vacation experience. Log on to BoingGolf.com and see why they're at the heart of America's summer golf capital. 
Come to where history meets luxury at the family-friendly French Lick Springs Hotel, where there's something for everyone, from kids' fest to shopping, bowling, golf, and other outdoor activities. Or at the West Baden Springs Hotel, you can wrap yourself in old-world elegance, visit our luxurious spa, indulge in an afternoon tea, a historic tour, and multiple sophisticated dining options. Then, finish your day with a cozy carriage ride before turning in for sweet dreams. Only this isn't a dream. Visit FrenchLick.com to plan your vacation today. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with TheGolfTravelGroup.com. Want to get ball fit like the pros? Now it's easy. Just grab your phone and a friend and have them record a video of you hitting a drive. Hello, Senior Tour. I absolutely smoked that. <laughs> anyway, submit your video to BridgestoneGolf.com. You'll receive an email showing your stats and the best tour be for your game. So get fit and get better. Sweet. You got me on a good day. Ireland is home to over 400 courses, including a third of the world's natural links and a selection of exceptional championship courses in amazing locations, as well as hosting the prestigious Ryder Cup, Solheim Cup, and the Open. Experience golf like you never have before from Royal Port Rush, Royal County Down, Port Marnock, Lahinch, Valley Bunyan, or Lee. Let yourself be embraced by the culture and history and feel the warmth of the Irish people who will make you feel as though you have not left home, but returned to it. For more information, log on to Ireland.com. Let's face it, there's no better feeling than getting new golf gear. And where you get your golf gear matters. PJ Tour Superstore is America's number one golf retailer. Whatever you're looking for, they have it. And you can get custom fit. You can shop online or safely in their stores. At the PJ Tour Superstore, you'll always find golf's biggest brands and all the latest equipment right at your fingertips. If you need it or want it, they've got it. Log on to PGATourSuperstore.com to upgrade your game today. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show on this Wednesday. And we just got some sound in from Matt Fitzpatrick that you want to hear from. It is compelling. It is interesting. Uh, he pl- played well by his own admission, played well at the Ryder Cup, and nothing to show for it. Uh, PXG's new Gen 4 golf clubs are the most advanced, best-performing clubs that we've ever made. Packed with new innovations, aluminum vapor technology, precision weighting technology, X-Core technology, and more. You're like, what is all that technology? You can find out. Gen 4 irons, drivers, fairways, hybrids, they all deliver incredible ball speed, distance control, sound, and feel. Here's how you can get more information. Visit pxg.com or call 844-PLAY-PXG. Just call them. When do you hear that nowadays? Call. Nobody says that. 844-PLAY-PXG to learn more. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. So, speaking of Matt Fitzpatrick, who is playing and starting his season uh, this week at the Bermuda Championship, for Matt, as you know, that this, I'm going to go, I'm going to go right through the nuggets that John has put together for us. He's, he's a great player. He just won on the European tour, right? And so he was asked about the best, biggest, whatever you want to phrase it, piece of advice that he gives amateurs that say that they want to get better. He did talk a lot about the Ryder Cup. What did you learn from the Ryder Cup? How tough is it in match play when you're really playing well, but you have nothing to show for it? Uh, the challenge from rebounding emotionally from that Ryder Cup, which, as you could see from the European side, was incredibly emotional for them. And everyone will talk about how, well, they're always emotional at the Ryder Cup. I agree, but I think there's more to it than that. My sense is. And my sense is this. I think the European side... They've always, they've always built themselves as the underdog. They always do. And there was all this talk coming in about how dominant the, the American side was going to be because of who was on that team, right? The performance that they've had, the world rankings, whatever measure you want to use. However, I think 
in their team rooms and in their preps and in their hearts and in their minds, that European team thought they were going to win. I'm not talking about just confidence. I'm talking about conviction. That they thought, you know what? Say whatever you want to say about how strong the U.S. side is. We've heard this same commentary coming in for years. We're going to do what we do. We own this event. And I think that there was some not only uh, cathartic response from European players, I'm thinking primarily about Rory, et cetera, but I think there was some element of emotional shock at how soundly they got beat. Uh, and I think that that was related to this Ryder Cup. And, and not just at large, but this Ryder Cup too. Yes, I won't deny the fact that people say the Europeans are very emotional about the Ryder Cup and it means a great deal to them, and I, and I would agree with all that. But I think there was more to it in terms of this one. So he was asked about the challenge from rebounding the same, being a part of what was a losing side for Europe. And then there was the question of where we start here with Matt Fitzpatrick about what went into the decision of starting this wraparound season 2021-2022 on the PGA Tour for Matt here at Bermuda. Yeah, I was planning on playing Houston originally, um, but uh, we sort of looked at it statistically that that didn't, didn't really suit my game as much as, as he and my, so uh, we decided to do a swap as well as um, I'll be playing DP World uh, in Dubai, um, which is in like three or four weeks. So I didn't really want to go from Houston to to Dubai with like a 10-hour time change and 16-17-hour um, flight. So we, we felt that this this suited suited the travel plans better as well and um, gives me more time to prep at the end of the year. Yeah, that, that for me that was a it was a huge thing. Um, Sort of, I've not really spoken to many people after it, but the Ryder Cup was, you know, it was difficult um, from an individual standpoint because I felt like the games I played, I played very, very well, um, and I, I didn't get a point. So it was, uh, it was a very tough one to take. Um, it, yeah, it hurt a lot really, and, and that, for, for how well I felt I'd played. Um, to come away with nothing was tough so kind of took a few days off afterwards didn't really do anything on the golf front and um, then just sort of got my head down put in a lot of work leading up to, to Spain um, and as well as um, my, my form that I showed at Ryder Cup uh, that kind of continued and I, and I had that confidence from that to to go out and played well in, in Spain and um, particularly around Valderrama where, where a lot of patience was needed and you got to plot your way around it's um, it, it just kind of worked perfectly for me to, to be the first course back and, and, and playing as well as I was so uh, worked out great in the end you know at the end of the day people see what they see from the outside they see the results and that then that's all that matters that's that's you know is black and white at the end of the day so that's that's golf um, but for me personally, uh, my team and the people around me, we we all agreed and saw that, that I was um, I was playing well, uh, and it was a case of similar things happening back in 2016 when I had a poor Ryder Cup and and sort of you know looking at trying to look at the positives and being like, well, you know, I've played well, I've just played against one of the best players in the world and took him to 18 and. Um, just got to take it into the final year-end um, tournaments, and you know, so far I'm one for one. Hopefully, can keep going. Two for two would be nice, and uh, keep going from here. So, yeah, the way the way I looked at the, that week at, when I was there was, um, of course, I want to play well. I felt like I'd played well at Ryder Cup. My game was kind of trending in a nice direction. Um, but at the same time, the one big thing I took away from that that week was I, I really I just really enjoyed it. I was very I felt very calm the whole week. I never had any expectations. I I didn't lose my head ever. I was very patient. I think a lot of it was to do with the way the golf course is. As you know, you can't you can't lose your head. You got you know you got to be on it for for seventy two holes straight. You literally have to be thinking. Um, but yeah, it taught me a lot about. 
about myself and sort of mentality really is that I just went out there to enjoy it and, and had patience and tried to plan my way around and do the right things and and it paid off and and the funny thing is it was the exact same at the start of the year I felt the same way about things um, and, I, and I played well and I had the same feeling at DP World at the end of last year and played well so um, yeah I mean it's it's time for me to sort of just start enjoying it more and um, not I always use the phrase to not care, like to not care about it of course I care um, but it's a case of you know as as blunt as it is there's, there's more to life than um, you know than playing golf so it's just about trying to trying to enjoy it when I do and you know be patient the whole time I'd be practicing inside eight foot yeah practicing inside eight foot I mean even the uh, you know best best players in the world are from eight eight foot they um, they only hold like fifty percent of the time so um, you know it's literally a toss of the coin whether the, the best players in the world are going to hold it from eight feet so I think um, that would be my biggest advice because I think holding more putts inside eight feet you're gonna gonna save a, save a lot of uh, a lot of shots so uh, yeah, that'd be that'd be on my billboard. Yeah, inside eight feet. There you heard it from Matt Fitzpatrick. Interesting comments from him. Well, Dominic, I don't know how this happened with with how you put together your your rundowns and the management of this show today. But I was going to talk about the top ten rankings in the world, and we're out of time. Listen, the only, the only comment I'll have as we say goodbye is I am this shoe is this this show is. Really highly show. produced, expertly produced on a daily basis. Let there be all no kinds doubt. of ideas and rundowns, bullet points and information packed. But where it goes, once all, <laughs> all that, that stuff starts... you talked to Carney about, heavily planned. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to thank Carney for that because, like I said, to him, I admitted to him that we, we didn't know. What do you want to talk about, Carney? Carney, I'm in Bermuda. That's cool. Yeah, I'll talk to Matt. We'll have you. I'll we'll talk about the Bermuda Championship. Lots to talk about. I don't even know if we ever said the name. Sometimes <laughs> that happens. I hope you guys have a meandering day today and you enjoy the path. We'll be back with you again tomorrow. Goodbye for now.